0: 2021 and we're walking together. It's exciting to hear what God's doing around the world. We know God has plans both in South Sudan and right here in the Sound. And I believe that this is a time more than ever as we start this year that we are sensing we need God to move. We want God to move for such a time as this. And it's our tradition the last six years to set aside 21 days that comes from the book of Daniel as we begin the year to fast and to pray. And maybe that's new for you. Maybe you've never had an intentional time fasting and praying, or maybe you've been doing it for a few years, and it's a great time to refresh and go deeper with God. And when you think about fasting, this is not a Grace Community Church thing. This is a Bible thing. And throughout the Bible, fasting from beginning to the end of the book, uh, the 66 books, we see Moses fasting. And Moses spent 40 days fasting on a mountain and God revealed so much to Moses. And when we fast and pray and seek God, God reveals things to us. Esther was a queen and she declared it was time to fast. And all the Jews were fasting together because there was peril. And they weren't sure if they were going to make it as a nation or how many people were going to be killed, but they were fasting and praying. And Nehemiah stepped into a city, and it was in ruins in Jerusalem. He was returning from exile. And as he looked around the city, not only physical ruins, but spiritual ruins and moral ruins. And he set aside time to fast and pray, to grieve, to cry out to God. And God gave him direction and vision. And God will give you direction and vision when you seek God. And in the early church, In the book of Acts, they are fasting and worshiping God and God starts to give direction and you are going to go over there and this is what I desire. And you see Jesus fasting for 40 days and you see it in the wilderness and he resists temptation. The devil shows up and he overcomes the devil and maybe you need to break free from some sin patterns and some temptations you've been giving into. You need to fast and pray and seek God and God brings victories. Jesus told his followers, when you fast, in other words, it's a healthy rhythm in following the Lord. And intentionally, that's how we start the year here at Grace, these three weeks. When you think about fasting, it's really less and more at the same time. And the less, the word fasting means to cover the mouth. And oftentimes in the Bible, it relates to food. It could be less food that you skip a meal, you skip several meals. Uh, Some people, they're going to fast from certain foods, maybe desserts, Uh, Some people are gonna fast from sunrise to sunset every day. Pick a, a fast that really fits you in terms of where you're at in that next step with the Lord. It could also be a different realm. Some people fast from social media, fast from entertainment or movies or television. Some people fast and really set aside, even wake up an hour earlier to have time with the Lord and fast from whatever the usual routine is in the morning and have a time with God. I'm encouraged as I'm already hearing people from our church, and what they're going to do in terms of fasting. But it's not just to go through the motions or have less of something, because to be honest, I don't look forward to that part of fasting. That's not something I enjoy. I like food. Anyone else? Food's good. Food's good. we got a lot of entertainment in America, a lot of things to enjoy. It's not easy to set some things aside and have less. So there's a part of me that's like, oh, no, here we go, fasting, being honest, because there's a part of the flesh that doesn't want to have less of something. But here's what's exciting, and it's the more. It's the more. More of God's presence. I encourage you to spend more time in God's word the next three weeks than you usually do. More time in prayer and more listening to God in the pace of our culture to step back and listen to the Lord. More clarity in your life. More courage to do what God's calling you to do. God pours out more Uh, but at the same time, it includes less. And it's a both and, but by faith we fast, and by faith we seek God, and God moves. God moves in power. And be encouraged that God's faithful, and he's called us to fast, and listen to God. This isn't legalistic, this is you choosing, not even the person next to you, but you choosing in this season. What's gonna help you walk with God, grow closer to God, abide with God, listen to God? And then let's do that together intentionally. Uh, we're also having something unique in January where we're going to have a gathering together on Zoom Tuesdays at noon for half an hour. Anyone who wants to join that's uh, wide open on Zoom, you say maybe Zoom is new. Yeah, it's a tool that we can join together. It's, it's the best tool we found where we can come together, pray Tuesdays at noon. Maybe you're at work and you just that's your lunch break, but Tuesdays at noon for half hour church wide, one heart, one voice, one prayer, Seek God together, again, as part of the rhythm of intentional fasting and praying here in January. And our theme in this series is a greater love. God's love greater than any other love. And we're looking at different aspects of God's love, God's kindness, God's humility. Uh, Today, we're gonna look at the confidence of Jesus. Uh, We've looked at God's patience. Today, the confidence of Jesus. And you say, that's kind of unique. How does that relate to God's love? Jesus, loved by the Father, has a confidence and a trust in the Father, the person of the Father, the plan of the Father, and the process of the Father. Those three elements, the person of the Father, the plan of the Father, and the process of the Father. There's a perfect love and there's a confidence. And we're gonna have a growing confidence in Jesus as we go through the the passages today. Uh, Let's seek the Lord in prayer. Father God, we set aside these next three weeks to you that you would lead us and guide us, Lord, in this time of intentional prayer and fasting. We're not just doing this to go through religious motions, God. We're doing it because we need you in the deepest way, God, in our lives, in our homes, in our church, and in our land. And we're asking you to move by your grace and your power and through your word and your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said that you would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And we say yes to the Holy Spirit as we surrender. We say yes to your fire, yes to your truth, yes to your love. A resounding yes, God, that you would prevail in our lives, in the challenges, in the trials, in the temptations, even in the sin patterns. You would prevail now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The main idea of the message today is that Jesus empowers you to both endure and to rise above your challenges. That together we would endure and rise above our challenges. I realize that can sound insensitive in a season where there's been so much pain. And yesterday I spent time, it was uh, over Zoom with a couple in our church and just sharing about the pain and some of the tragic things that have happened, tears, prayers, uh, this is not to belittle the challenges. Uh, we endure by God's grace, his grace is sufficient every day, it's not small what we're going through. But we know that the calling on our lives is more than just to endure, but following Jesus and his example, it's to rise above these challenges. And how does that happen? There's a confidence, that's so important a confidence in God, a confidence in His perfect love that is so significant in our souls. And sometimes when things are difficult, that confidence can get sucked away. And have you ever vacuumed and gone through the house vacuuming and then realized you just vacuumed something that was very valuable? And have you ever opened up the vacuum, had to sort through the bag of junk and filth and nastiness? and retrieve and pull that thing back? Well, sometimes our confidence in God in the middle of the trials just kinda gets sucked away. We don't even realize it, but we've gotta regain a confidence in God underneath all the trials that we're going through. And that's where we're going today. We're gonna start with the Trinity because we are Trinitarians, our God, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's important to know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All equal, we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is the basis for all of our relationships because within the Trinity, we see perfect love, perfect unity, perfect confidence, perfect community. And our relationships should be a reflection, our lives, a reflection of God. The community and unity we see in God, the perfect love. So let's think about Jesus, and the Father loves us, loves the Son, sends the son. What's happening in Jesus' early life? He's in the temple. His parents are kind of astounded. They didn't keep track of him too closely. He was still back in Jerusalem in the temple, and he said, I have to be in my father's house. He's abiding with the father. The crazier life gets, Jesus will step back from the pace and the madness, and he will abide with the father. Jesus was a carpenter, and then after about 30 years, He was uh, baptized by John. And what happened at his baptism? The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and a voice from heaven, the Father saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. That is still the longing of every child to hear from their mother mother and father. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love and a declaration and I'm pleased. And we see even at the end of Jesus's life, what was his last statement before he took his last breath? Into your hands I commit my spirit. He was still trusting the Father. Even though Jesus just became sin, forsaken by the Father, he was still trusting the perfect love and presence of the Father. And I wanna give you one other glimpse, and this is from John chapter 17. This is Jesus' longest prayer. If you ever wonder what does Jesus pray, and uh, how does Jesus pray? You look at John 17. And there's one verse that says so much. And you think about the Trinity, and you think about our relationship with God and with each other and the world, and this sums it up in one prayer and one verse, John 17, 23. Jesus praying says, I in them, and he's praying for future believers, he's praying for us, he says, I in them, in other words, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and he says to the Father, you in me, the Father in the Son, says, may they, that's us, be brought to complete unity and that unity, the same as in the Trinity, to let the world know that you sent me. In other words, when we're united and there's Jesus' love here, the world's going to notice that different love. They're going to notice Jesus. They're going to see Jesus in us. And he says that you have loved them, the Father loves us, even as you have loved me. In the same way that the Father loves the Son, the Father loves us, the Son is secure and confident in the Father, and we can be confident in the Father and in His love. And again, those three areas, the presence, the very being, the presence of God, all His greatness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His love and grace, to have full confidence in His presence, to have full confidence in his plan. In a lot of people, that's still a yes. They'll say, yes, it makes sense. Love our neighbor, that's his plan. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth, that's his plan. New heaven and new earth, that's his plan. Eternity with him, that's his plan. To make us more like Jesus, that's his plan. He's got a lot of plans. We like to say yes to the Father, yes to the plan. But here's the tricky part. Confidence in the process. Because the process is stretching and the process can be painful. And when Jesus died on the cross, even Jesus wrestled with trusting the Father's love in the process. And for us, becoming more like Jesus, representing Jesus and his love to the world, there's a process there. Chiseling away, smashing the pride is a process. And we want to be confident in God and in his love. So that's important, that foundation in terms of the Trinity and this is where we're gonna go in the message today. Uh, we're gonna to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, we're gonna to go to Psalm 27. So you can turn there if you brought a Bible or on your phone, Psalm 27. And we're gonna look at this in an individual life. Think about your life with God and the depth in your relationship with God. This is David battling fears. And how many of us have battled fear this last year? Intense battles with fear and anxiety and worry with challenges and uncertainty. This is David finding confidence in God in the battle with fear. And that's Psalm 27. Then we'll look at the New Testament and say, what does it look like in terms of community? And we'll take a look at, at Acts, the book of Acts, the history of the church. But we're going to spend the bulk of our time here on Psalm 27. Confidence in God. You could write confidence in God next to this Psalm, Psalm 27. Let's start in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I fear. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. David has a confidence in God's faithfulness. There's a battle with fear. David owns it, he describes it, he doesn't deny it. A lot of people deny their battles with fear, David doesn't. Fear, it's a dark place, it's a lonely place. It's like a prison that wants to trap us and stifle and stymie our progress in abounding with God and our fruit with the Lord. Fear, it's a very intense battle and yet, what does David say? In the middle of that, God is my light. The only place in the Old Testament where we read my light, very personal, light means my life, my joy, and also God is my salvation, the stronghold of my life. That word stronghold, it really means a strong, fortified place. All of us have a place we can go. When life and fear creep in, we can go to this safe place who is God. What David is saying is he has an even if confidence. Even if fears, even if an army, for David, it was often a military battle. That was the setting. He was in military battles often in his life. Even if there's another army, even if fear comes in, no, even if those things happen, I will have my confidence in God and in his love. Uh, Spurgeon says it this way, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the wave, the challenges that come in life that really slam us to the rock of ages so that our faith would grow to the rock that is higher than I, to draw closer to Jesus in the most difficult times. And I encourage you to write down Psalm 27, uh, to spend time there and Maybe pick a couple verses and write them down. Put them on your phone. Write them on a three by five card. Put them in your bathroom. Put them on your dashboard. Uh, Put it in your back pocket. Memorize it. Grab some verses from Psalm 27 as we go through it right now. The ones that speak to you, highlight them right next to it in the Bible. Grab those verses and, and hold on to those. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And this is Psalm 27, an honest, raw prayer from David. Let's continue. And drop down to verse four. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice With shouts of joy. I will sing a little louder. I will praise him a little louder. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. What we see here is a confidence in the presence of God. And David has two things both a desire and a seeking. There's a desire and a seeking. Both are important. There's a lot of people who have a desire for God, but not much seeking. Oh, do you you want to walk with God? I want to walk with God. Do you want to get in his word? I want to get in his word. Do you want to seek him in prayer and fasting? I want to seek him in prayer and fasting. Well, is that your lifestyle? Like, are you, if we look at your life and my life, like, am I seeking God or I just have a desire to seek God? David doesn't want to have a desire to seek God. He wants to seek God and seek his face. Uh, When I'm going to the grocery store, uh, because we have different appetites, right? When I'm going to the grocery store, the kids, they'll ask me, where are you going? And if I say the grocery store, they say, oh, well, this is what we want. We want sugar cereal, we want some ice cream, and they just start bringing the list, right? And I'm kind of soft in those areas, so when I go shopping... I just tend to bring home a lot of treats. And I think the kids know that. But uh, they have an appetite in their stomach, and they, they don't just have a desire. They want me to seek and take hold of those cookies that are on sale. Well, you've got an appetite every day, physical appetite. There's food you like. There's food you want. When you open up the refrigerator, when you go to the grocery store, like you've got an appetite, and you don't just want to have a desire for that food. like You want to taste and see that, that food is good. Well, you've got a spiritual appetite and you've got a soul that's hungrier than your stomach. And what do you feed your soul? We all tend to feed our stomachs pretty well in America, but what are you feeding your soul? David's soul is hungry. Our souls are hungry. We can stuff a bunch of junk in there and our souls are famished or our souls can thrive because our souls wanna seek God's face. Want to be close to God. Uh, one of the best Christmas gifts I received this year was a little note. Uh, it wasn't purchased, it was written by one of our children. And this is what the note said. It wasn't even in fancy writing or a fancy card. It was like a ripped off piece of paper. And on that note, it was a coupon. Anyone ever receive a coupon from your kids if you're a parent here or a grandparent? This coupon entitles me to infinity amounts of visits to this child's room for the rest of their lives. And can you beat that? Now, I don't know what that's going to look like on some tough days. I don't know what it's going to look like during teenage years. But what I know I have is access to come visit and hang out in this child's room infinity times for the rest of my life. And that's a pretty good deal. I'm holding on to that coupon. How much more do you think our father gives us infinity visits to seek his face, his throne of grace, anytime? And I'm thrilled that my child wants to be with me that much. How thrilled do you think our father is when we seek him and want to be with him in that perfect Confidence in God's presence, confidence in God's plan, confidence in God's process. David, uh, what does he say? He's talking about a temple right here. Well, the temple historically was built by Solomon after David. David's referring, yes, there was a tabernacle, but this is not about a building, a tabernacle, a future temple. This is about abiding, abiding and responding. This is about David's desire to abide. When we read ahead, to the end of the book of the Bible's uh, 66 books and the Revelation, you know what we read? God is our light. That's what David declared. We're not gonna need to bring any lamps to heaven. We're not gonna need the light of the sun anymore because the light of his glory is gonna be so wonderful and beautiful and intense and we're gonna abide with him forever. David is saying, God is my light, not just for eternity, but I want to abide with God today. I want to abide with God right now. I want to abide with God this week, even when the Philistines come, even when the armies come, I want to abide with God. He is hungry for God. Hungry for God. I was talking to a pastor uh, this last month And uh, this is what he said. I am so hungry for people to be hungry for God. I I am so hungry for people to be hungry with God. Now, I know God moves many times when we're not even seeking him. And sometimes even when we're rebellious and lukewarm, God still does wonderful things by his grace. But I'll tell you the pattern I see in the Bible is that when God's people get hungry for God and they fast and pray and they repent and they cry out to God, God heals nations. God changes lives. God sets revival and awakening in motion, but he often waits until the people want him and hunger for him and seek him. And don't just talk the talk, but seek his face. And David is saying, religion is not enough for me. I'm hungry for the presence of the living God. Don't miss that. And then in verse 9, David continues, and he says, "'Do not hide your face from me.'" See, he still has some insecurities. He still battles fear. It's just like us. We have some insecurities. Is God going to answer my prayer? Is he really going to be here? Does he still care with everything I'm going through? And he says, "'Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior.'" though my mother and father forsake me. And many of us have had that experience. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. It says, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, and they're breathing out violence. David has a confidence in God's guidance. Another way of saying it is focusing on yourself or your challenges Leads to an unhealthy or deteriorating confidence. If you overfocus on yourself, it'll end up in either pride or shame. That's where it'll go every time. You wanna overfocus on yourself, it'll lead to pride or lead to shame. If you overfocus on your challenges, your confidence in God will deteriorate because you will magnify your challenges and you will shrink the Lord, and then your confidence in God will deteriorate if you overfocus on your challenges. So, how do we keep our focus on the Lord? I skipped over this one before, but seeking God leads to a growing confidence in God. Uh, what's happening here in David's life is he's seeking God. It's leading to a growing confidence in God. And what's his prayer? When you pray, don't go into um, you've got to pray like a Bible college professor. Don't go into the mode of I've got to be theologically so eloquent. Uh, it's good to pray Scripture. It's good to pray solid theology. It's good to pray those things. But you could pray all those things and not really open up your heart and soul to God. And prayer isn't so much intellectually impressing God and theologically, doctrinally, wowing God. Prayer is when in worship is when you open up your heart and lives and soul and you say sincerely, just like he prays here. And it can be a simple prayer. What does David pray right here? Teach me, lead me. That's what he prays. Teach me. Got a teachable heart, God. Lead me. I'm ready to follow. Because you can shower a whole bunch of hallmark prayers and never deep in your heart and soul really mean, God, teach me and lead me. My whole life is yours. Take over, God. The steering wheel's yours. And that's the heart of worship. That's the heart of prayer. That's a God who we can have confidence in, in his love and direction. And for David, that wasn't going to be easy to say. I mean, he was anointed king at 17. He had to wait 13 years before he was king. And then what else? Goliath. Everyone else is scared. David probably felt a little bit of a, a trembling inside. But what's he going to do? Trust God going up against Goliath. There was the first king, Saul, who tried to kill David many times. And Saul had the whole army. And he wanted to take out little teenage David many times. David had to build that confidence in the Lord. And then his own son, Absalom, wanted to take over the throne and kill his father. He's on the run from his son. He's got to trust. Him. The Philistines want to take him out at every turn. David is not saying this stuff in the context of everything's safe in his little bubble. David is saying this stuff on the front lines with the fiercest intensity from family, from armies, uh, on every level. David is saying, God, my confidence is in you. And here's his declaration at the end of the psalm verse 13. I am still confident of this. This has been my declaration for 2021. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Confidence in God's goodness, his grace in the most difficult times. Uh, This is faith exhorting faith. It's okay to talk to yourself. By the way, it's okay to preach to yourself. And that's what David's doing here. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. This is a courageous confidence. And the body of Christ needs a courageous confidence in the year 2021, a courageous confidence. I say the goodness of the Lord is the only real reason we have both a daily and a long-term confidence. It is the goodness of the Lord that gives David this strong confidence in God's faithfulness, God's presence, God's goodness, God's love. How is your confidence in God these days? How is it in his presence, in his plan, and in his process? Is there a resounding yes from your soul? You say, well, this is the most difficult time to really trust God and have confidence in God. I was talking to someone this week from our church who said this is the most difficult year of their life. Nothing close to this year. Many people feel that. And this is not to deny the challenges that we're in the middle of. Uh, What have we been through in 2020? I'm thinking about COVID, suicides, divorce, abuse, division, churches. I've never seen so divided. You know what the fastest growing group in America is in terms of faith? It's the nuns, and N-O-N-E-S, meaning uh, no thanks, I'm not interested. God, Jesus, the Bible, no, none of it. That's the fastest growing group. Do you realize how quickly things are changing spiritually in our nation? Are you aware of what's going on? Uh, This was one fact that uh, caught my attention the last week. In the last year, 22% of people in churches have completely left the church. I'm talking about not coming back to the building, not connecting online, just nothing. 22%, think of that nationwide. 22% of followers of Jesus have just said, I'm out in the last year. 22% are you aware of the realities of what's happening in our nation and in the church right now? And that's not even to mention the last year, all the short-term mission trips that didn't happen, the life of missionaries around the world. This is very significant. What's happening right now is very significant. And the devil is at work, and there's two ways the devil works. He has schemes, the Bible says, and some are indirect and some are direct. Here's the indirect. The indirect is to lull you to sleep. And to just lukewarm, drift, wander, apathy, loss of spiritual appetite, that's one of the ways the devil works. And it's not so painful. You say, how do you kind of drift and wander? Well, you just do nothing in your faith. You do nothing in your faith, you know where you go? You just drift and wander. That's where you go. And that's one of the devil's tactics is just put the followers of Jesus to sleep, distract them, sleep. And the other one is direct. And the other one that's more direct is Jesus isn't real. He wasn't fully God and fully human. He didn't rise from the dead, even though there's all the historical evidence. The Bible, you can't rely on it. And the direct attacks sometimes against you from other people and slander. And there's a lot of direct attacks. And some people, when those direct attacks come, they just get intimidated and they back down and they say, oh, it's too much. But the one who's in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And there is hope for our nation, there's hope for the church, there's hope for our lives. And I've been spending time in the book of Joel because I, I see some parallels and I wanna share a few verses from the book of Joel. This is from chapter one, verse two. And this is what's happening. There's locusts. Can you imagine a locust invasion? I mean, who likes insects in their house, right? Who likes spiders and bed bugs and like, no thanks. Will the locusts come and invade? And in Joel chapter one, verse two, We read, hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in our days or in the days of your forefathers? Couldn't we say that about 2020? (laughs) Like, listen, elders. Listen, land. Has anything like this ever happened in our lifetime? No, it hasn't. And then we read in verse three. Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eat. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have And agriculturally, the locusts came in, devoured the land. A lot of loss, a lot of grieving. And what does God say to the people in the next verse? Two words. This is what God declares. Wake up. That's what God says. Wake up. Wake up. In the middle of the loss, in the middle of the grieving, wake up. And what he was saying to them is, wake up spiritually. Because this isn't just a locust invasion. There are spiritual dynamics and battles that are happening. You need to wake up and return to the Lord. Wake up to the condition of the land morally. Because they took a wrong turn. Wake up to the needs of the people. The message from the Lord was, wake up. Wake up. And they could say, well, we know some Bible. We have some knowledge. Wake up. Wake up. Well, we, we know how to talk to talk. Wake up. Well, we've got our comfy little bubble. I mean, the locusts ate a lot, but I still got my little comfy bubble, and that's all that really matters. No, wake up. That's the message of the Lord. Wake up. Well, what are we supposed to do? And God says it very clearly. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders. All who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to God in repentance, in humility. Humble yourselves, the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord, and cry out to God. Wake up, repent, cry out to God. Say, Well, what's going to happen? The Lord says it in in chapter two. He tells the people, I will restore the years that the locusts the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, God will come and restore. There's no limits to the healing that God can bring in our land. There's no limits to the awakening God wants to bring. There's no limits to the restoration in the family between husband and wife, between grandparents and grandkids. There's no limits to the hope and the joy. We've got a young generation right now that's just looking for hope, feeling hopeless. Suicide, 25% of the youngest generation are considering suicide statistics. Say, are you aware of what's happening? Are you aware of the youngest generation what's happening in faith these days and how far they're going from Are you aware of what's happening? And God says, wake up, wake up. I've got a a friend who's a pastor and uh, he, this is another pastor I was listening to and he was reflecting on everything that's happening right now and this was his declaration. Uh, I don't want to just sit back, be passive, and manage the decline of the American church. I don't just want to sit back, be passive, and manage the decline of the American church. Oh, the youngest generation? What's happening there? Oh, people leaving the church? Oh, well, let's just, uh, let's just say okay. Let's just say okay. Uh, oh, okay, so that's less people... Involved in church ministry, okay, probably less giving, less, less programs, less budget. Yeah, we can't do as much, so let's just manage it. We're kind of going the way of Europe, going the way of Canada. Let's just try to manage it, keep people happy, and just manage the decline of the American church. And he just says, not on my watch. That's not my calling.
1: Is that our calling as leaders,
0: as followers of Jesus, to just watch? Just watch what's happening in the nation? Just watch and say, oh yeah, let's just manage the decline. That sounds like all we can really do, right? And so God says to the people, wake up, wake up. And I believe in our spirit, what we've lost often is a confidence in God. a Confidence in his word, confidence in his presence, a confidence in his plan, and a confidence in his process. And if we lose a confidence in God deep down, it's going to affect every part of our lives. And so we've got to return, not to religion, but we've got to return to God and seek Him. You say, well, what could happen? Uh, God will raise up influencers. God will raise up, you are a culture changer. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You, filled with the Holy Spirit, are called maybe to South Sudan. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen as we fast and pray. You know, John and his family, he was working for Weyerhaeuser nine years ago, but what happens when you seek God? You don't know what God's gonna do. I don't know what's gonna happen in the next three weeks. I only know the first step, that God calls us to fast and pray. John says it'd be great if 10 people, he needs 10 people on the team. I don't know who God, but it's gonna be Grace Community Church, uh, or his father's church down in Eugene. I don't know where God's gonna raise up the people. I don't know what God's gonna do in your life, but I know that it's good when you seek the Lord you listen to him, God gives clarity, and you walk with him full of the Holy Spirit, full of confidence in God, and with courage, you live this out. When we do it together, there's no limits to what God can do. And if you don't believe me, take a look at the book of Acts. I'm gonna put some verses up on the screen here, starting in Acts chapter five. I think a community of culture changers and influencers. I want you to get a flavor, get a feel for the followers of Jesus, and this was their experience. This is Acts chapter five. His speech persuaded them. They called, and they are the religious leaders who want to kill, destroy, jail, silence the followers of Jesus. They called the apostles in, and they had them flogged. And that's a brutal experience. Uh, Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, praising God because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped. They never stopped. They never stopped. Did they stop? They never stopped. Was it once in a while, just one place? No, everywhere they went, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the gospel and the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, isn't that crazy? I mean, if you're going to get killed and jailed and beaten, wouldn't you stop? No, they never stopped. They never stopped. Acts chapter 8, and now we have... Saul, who later be the apostle Paul, and I pray in 2021, there'll be some people who are against the church, against Jesus, against his word, that will come to know the Lord. And Saul, before he came to know Jesus, approved of their killing him. They just killed Stephen, first martyr, many more are going to be killed. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. They mourned Deeply for him, deep amounts of pain and mourning and grieving in the church. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, what did they do? They preached the word wherever they went. Conversations, a couple people, any setting, temples, to bring in God's word. And then what happens as you continue in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13... The disciples were filled with joy. They've never had it tougher in life in terms of their circumstances. It's never been more difficult. And yet they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're filled with joy. They're filled. They're filled. You can be filled in any circumstances with the Holy Spirit with joy. Any circumstances. And they didn't just fill themselves. But this is what happened: Acts 13:52. The word of the Lord spread. Through the whole region. They filled the region. They filled the sound. Could the sound be filled with the gospel and the word of God and the hope of Jesus? Oh, that's easy. God's given us all the resources, all the opportunities. He's already placed us where he wants us. Easy, easy to see revival in the sound if we rely on the Lord. We're filled with his presence. And things got difficult. This is one more. For Saul, one night the Lord spoke to Paul. Because Paul's getting beat up and he's lonely and he battles fear he just wonders, what do I do next? And sometimes it was hard for Paul to hear the Lord and to know what to do. And one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. God often speaks in that gentle whisper. Even spiritual giants like the Apostle Paul need that gentle reassurance from Jesus. And confidence in the Lord and I feel like it's it's time to rise up it, it really is as I think through these passages from our point of view because all we really know to be honest for most of us is American Christianity in this century. That's what we know. So when we look at these verses of how the church lived, we call this radical. would you agree <laughs> We look at this and say this is radical. But I think if we were talking to them, they would say, oh no, this is normal. This is how Jesus did. This is normal. Jesus and his followers, this is normal. Well, you guys were so radical. No, we weren't. We were just normal. And then we might step in and say, well, no, no, no. Let us explain normal to you. This is not normal. Let us tell you what's normal. And they would listen, and I think they might say, that's not normal, that's sleepy. That's not normal, that's distracted. That's not normal, that's self-absorbed. That's not normal. And so, what is normal? How do you follow Jesus? What do you base it on? The culture, your friends, your experiences, your nation, or the Bible? Jesus himself and his calling on our lives. Maybe we need to think about what is normal. Maybe God doesn't want to do just a little bit less of this and just a touch less of that. Maybe God is going for the heart and the soul and the core of following him. Now, I realize this can make it a little uncomfortable, it can be a little squirming. Uh, let's look at an encouraging picture. And let's take a look at this picture someone shared. This is New York City. 1950s, Christmas Eve. When I look at that picture, I just think, there's kind of a confidence in the cross and in Christ. I can't picture that today. Can you picture that in downtown Seattle? Let's just put Christmas time, let's get the cross everywhere in our city. Some things have changed in our nation. The last few decades, things are changing rapidly. The last year, things are changing rapidly. Our goal is not to get cross symbols in the buildings downtown in Seattle. I'm not against that, but that's not our goal. Our goal is not ultimately to have symbols of the cross. As wonderful as the old rugged cross is, it's not to get more and more symbols of the cross in the church building, although we've got a cross. We've got crosses. Here's what's powerful. Not when it's on a building, not when it's downtown, but when your life, when people see you and they see Jesus. When people talk with you and listen and interact with you and your generosity and your kindness and your patience and your humility and your care and your words and your story and the gospel, and they get around you and they just say, I've just experienced Jesus. And when they get around you, they just get more. They they sense Jesus. And that's what's powerful. When the churches in the south are alive with the Holy Spirit, confidence in God, and people who come into conversations or interaction, they experience Jesus. So I ask as we start now in this fasting, can we journey together? The next three weeks, can we journey together? Can we really worship God? Can we really worship God and journey together? And ultimately, let's put our confidence in God. Person, plan, process. Let's pray. Father God, we humbly seek you and admit, uh, Lord, we often get duped. We often fall asleep. We often lose confidence in you. And there's just not the fruit, the momentum, the awakening, the change lives. God, the process is really hard. We often uh, believe your word and who you are. And Lord, we see that your plan ultimately prevails and it's good. But Lord, the temptations and the sin patterns and the fears and the worries and the self-consumption in the materialism, in the idolatry. And we elevate so much above you. And God, we pray that you would humble us. Our pride, our stubbornness, our rebellion, our trust in technology, our trust in methods that far surpasses our trust in you. God, when we look at who you are, Jesus, we look at how you lived. It's very different than how we live. And there's a gap, and it's kind of uncomfortable, and it's easy to stuff things in our lives and deny it. But we sense your stirring. And God, just like you spoke to the people through the prophet Joel, we sense those words to wake up. We sense there's a lot on the line. And we sense we're going to need you at every turn. We don't know what you're calling us to. But we've come to worship. We've come to follow you. And we don't want to shrink back or hold back. So guide us as we search our hearts Guide us as we get honest with you. We're not content with the way things are right now. We're not content in any superficial ways. Bring renewal. Awaken your people, your Holy Spirit. We plead for this. We seek your face. In your name we pray, Jesus.